This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good evening, dummies. Episode 169. It's Wednesday, June 16th, 7.59 p.m. I've got some listeners who are friends of my wives. Wives? Wives? Am I from Utah? Polygamy? Bigamy? Trigonometry? My wife keeps inviting people to the show who I have no idea who they are. But thank you for stopping by. It's wonderful to have you. And these are local friends and family. I'm looking at my lights because they seem to be off tonight. Something's not quite right with my lighting. Whatever. Doesn't matter. So welcome. This is a show. Doesn't seem like it. Seems pretty unprofessional so far, but trust me, this is what I do, folks. Bring your trays and seats to the upright position. Put your head between your legs and kiss your ass goodbye. We are going to do a show tonight, and it should be fun. First off, I want to get to something immediately. It's really important to me. And this is most assuredly a person who will never watch my show, and that's okay. And I can make that judgment quickly based upon what the person looks like. And I'm going to be transparent here. I made a post, and it's basically the Geico lizard. And I found the meme somewhere else. And I, I think memes are ugly. I think people need to put more you know, thought behind the font and the picture. So I tend to improve on a meme when I when I do that to make it even better. Sometimes I'll change the wording. Sometimes I'll change the image. Sometimes I'll just leave it alone, except kind of brush it up. But this is the Geico meme where it says, we can save 20% on everything if we put Trump back in office. And it's actually pretty funny. And it's designed to be funny. It's not designed to be the end-all, be-all, the scripture, the epitaph, the Encyclopedia Britannica of Donald Trump's presidency. It's just a joke that inflation is running rampant and and Biden's in office. And of course, we knew it was going to happen. Inflation would have happened under Trump. I think it would have went up and went down much quicker. I think it'll continue to rise because Biden and Democrats spend frivolously. And they always have. He's a Carter type president, but that doesn't matter. I'm digressing. And I saw this person come across my page and her comment was pathetic, lots of laughs, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, we finally got orange man out of office. Ha 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 ha. And the first thing I did is I, like I always do is I look at somebody's page because I want to know who I'm talking to. And she's in a tie dye shirt and she's got a ponytail and glasses. And she looks like a hippie. There's nothing wrong with that. One of my mom's best friends, Lori, who would hate me right now. I grew up with her, and she's a pot-smoking hippie who listened to the dead and followed the dead around, and hippies are fine. There's nothing wrong with hippies. I would much prefer having hippies versus this socialist progressive bullshit that's happening now, but something struck me. When I saw that comment, it bothered me because what I don't like is when I post something and then somebody just comes on and says something completely inconsequential to the conversation and made a comment about him with all the sexual allegations. It has nothing to do with the economy. 
I mean, this guy could diddle farm animals, and I don't give a shit as long as my taxes look somewhat in the positive percentage at the end of the year. It doesn't have anything to do with the conversation. But if we're going to start waxing moral character, Joe Biden sniffs kids, and we have it on tape. And he does. He has a hair fetish. I'm a foot fetish guy. I get it. I don't know. I like ass. Not ass, but butts. I like big butts, and I cannot lie. My other, okay, anyway. So here's the deal. This moved me. I, after I just sang Big Butts by Sir Mix-a-Lot, maybe got back. This is the post that I saw. My first reaction when I saw her picture was to be mean. And I think that's what people do. It's our natural reaction to try to find something to attack. And instead of focusing on the character of a person, we focus on their outward appearance. And everything happens for a reason. I'm not a godly man, but I do believe in karma. I do believe, I know, I know, I just do. But I also believe that if I wear the right jersey or don't change my underwear, the Colorado Avalanche will win. That theory was put to rest a couple nights ago. This is what it says. And I think it's Megan Kidulis or Kidulis, or if it's Greek, it might be Kidulis, but I don't, I'm not sure. It says, Meg Wisdom. We are all beautiful in our own ways. Ever since I was a young girl, I noticed that I get started at, stared at constantly because of my face. And that's perfectly fine. I want people to be curious. It's perhaps not pleasant, but I know my heart more than anyone else on here. I have a uber big heart that just loves people and a heart full of curiosity for things that I even keep to myself, like military and veterans, gemstones, traveling, heck, even how people think interests me. Maybe if you get to know someone based off their heart instead of their looks, the world would be a better place. I don't get too emotional, man, but this is like the flag and talking about vets for me. This, this is, uh, it's beautiful and she's beautiful. And if you don't find anything but beauty in a person like this, then you are the fucking problem. I don't give a shit that she's a liberal. I don't give a shit. She's probably a fucking fourth wave feminist. I don't give a shit that we have absolutely nothing in common. I don't give a shit that I disagree with her vehemently on everything politically related But the one thing that I also have in common with her is that bullying is wrong. And treating people like shit is ridiculous based upon looks and appearance. She has as much control over that as she does the earth spinning a certain way or a certain degree, a certain longitude, latitude, or a certain velocity. She's not God. And she was born the way she was. And honestly, I don't care. But my first reaction was to be mean. And then... I saw the post and everything happens for a reason that split fainting second was gone before it even came. And I realized don't question somebody's character based upon looks, challenge them on their thought process. But for her to make that post, she is obviously carrying more water over something than I could ever understand from someone who was picked on. Also, when I was younger, we have that in common. And if that is the only thing we have in common, then it's more than what we don't. Because my political beliefs and her political beliefs do not define who we are. The fact that we share commonality in bullying and people subjecting us to almost torture based upon our looks. I was not always this strapping young lad you've seen in front of you today. But I guess the whole point of the story is everyone has that person out there for them. And 
it doesn't matter and it won't be based on looks. And you can ask the, the, the most beautiful people in the world. Brangelina, that relationship fluttered and died and he wound up cheating. Hugh Grant went with Marvin Hagler in a dress for Christ's sakes and he was with the hottest supermodel on the planet, Elizabeth Berkeley. It's not about looks. It's about connection. It's about understanding. It's about when COVID hits and you almost go bankrupt, will she stick around? It's about when she's having a kid and her body was that of a, of a model until she was a certain age and then lost it, then got it back, then lost it again. Will you still appreciate who she is? From the yelling to the trials and tribulations to the economic collapse to the sickness to the death to the, all the things that we face, there is something so much more important than looks to weigh a person. So I hope she stays. I hope she watches it. And it's certainly not for my benefit. And it most assuredly won't be for hers. Because we will agree on probably nothing. But what we do agree on, I hope, is that I hear her loud and clear. And I humbly thank her for teaching me something that I almost forgot. Welcome to Don't Unfriend Me. What are we going to do tonight besides that? Well, we could just end it there. That sounded pretty good to me. Government-run health care. Or should I say government-run health scare? Holy shit. Do we want the government running the same same people who run the post office? The DMV? We want them running our health care? Well, I'm going to tell you why tonight. Besides those obvious reasons why we can't do it. Girl Scout cookies, are they made with real Girl Scouts? Interesting. Maybe that's where they get their amazing flavor. And a picture is worth a 1,000 rubles. We're going to go through a little-known fact. Did Vladimir Putin spy on Ronald Reagan? And do we have photographic evidence of it? We've heard this conspiracy theory. I'm going to dive into it tonight. But first, before we go into this lengthy show, Bob asked Sam if he will be going on the scout trip to Lake Chickawaka. Bob and Sam were both scout leaders. And when he asked us, he said, are you going to be coming this summer? And Sam says, no. And Bob asked, why? Emphatically. Well, I was banned from being a scout leader. Why were you banned from being a scout leader? Well, after a baking mishap on a joint group weekend camping trip, I fudged a brownie. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest. Always direct. So sit back. Relax. Don't unfriend me starts. Right now. I fudged a brownie. I am most assuredly going to hell, folks. I am sorry, but I'm probably going to do it again. My name is Matthew Spear. I am the host of Don't Unfriend Me. Welcome to my show. What is Don't Unfriend Me? Well, Don't Unfriend Me is a kind of political current events, a little bit of satire, some foul language, and a perspective that you may agree with or disagree with. You may love me. You may hate me. All I ask is you don't unfriend me. Time to put the Avs hat back on. Jared Bednar is going to keep his job. Thank God. Important. The good coach. It wasn't his fault. The team, Nazem Kadri, man, you take out the second line center with as much grit as this guy have, then you would have been able to lock down Vegas's first line. Pacioretty wouldn't have been a, a, 
in the series. Mark Stone wouldn't have been in the series. And then it would have relied on our third and fourth line, which we most assuredly would win. We would have won with our speed, which would have opened up the first line. We would have got the line changes we preferred, and we would have won the series. Everyone knows that. Vegas is not better than the Avs. They just happen to be this season because of Kadri with that open eye said, I'm not in denial. I'm honest. They're a good team. Colorado's better. We'll see next year. But that's been our mantra. Moving on, folks. Episode 169. You know what we're going to go over tonight. But first, before we do that, you can see my social media sites right here on Facebook, on Anchor. You can find my podcast. And if that doesn't work, you hate social media and you refuse to go, you can go to my website at don'tunfriendme.com. My entire catalog there is there, my blogs, my podcasts, my videos. Everything is right there for you. You can even leave a nice message for me. Maybe we can chat it up and have a conversation. I'm going to try to start putting some news media up there and get a little bit more traction when it comes to current events and some articles that I think you would like to read. It's growing slowly but surely, and that is the old adage. Are you ready? Good, because so am I. Made with real Girl Scouts. Now, here's the thing. We all had a chance to hear about the Boy Scouts changing their name from the Cub Scouts or certain age age groups changing it to Scouts. Well, there is a been a, a very large game between the Girl Scouts and the Boy Scouts for many a year. And it's all about registration. Now, the Boy Scouts have went through their own trials and tribulations, very similar to Catholic priests, and taking Scouts out to the middle of the woods and not having them return. Not very good for membership revenue, I've heard. But the Girl Scouts have done their own damage. And the Girl Scouts have been around for 100 years, and they have done a lot for female elevation and helping women find their own identity and strength in numbers together. And I admire what they've done, but they've also done some other things. They're suing the Boy Scouts, or excuse me, the Scouts as we know, because the Boy Scouts did something very unique. They said, hey, we will be open to the LGBTQ community, which was great. They also said, we're going to clean up uh, the the diddlers inside of our midst. And then lastly, we're going to accept girls. Well, Girl Scouts don't like this. Why? Because if it's all about elevating women, should it really matter who does it? I mean, isn't that what we want is diversity? Aren't the boys clubs the things we hate? Don't we hate the Shriners because they won't allow women in there? What about the Masons, Freemasons? What about all-male clubs? I mean, this is about the whole first and second wave feminist movement, right? So shouldn't they be happy? Well, fuck no. Of course not, because they're woke. And they don't know what they want. Look at BLM. Look at Occupy Wall Street. Does anybody know what they fucking want? Can you tell me the list of demands besides 50,000 cases of Mountain Dew and Cheetos? They they don't know what they want. We want to have a lot of money and we want to have jobs. Okay, great. Tell us how we're going to do that. We don't fucking know. Let's live here, not take showers, and ruin this block indefinitely. Well, that's not a revolution. But feminist feminist first wave and second wave absolutely was. And the Girl Scouts should appreciate that. But they don't, and here's why. We're going to go into the cookies first. There is no denying that Girl Scout cookies are delicious. Well, to some people. I don't eat them anymore. But when you find out what's actually in them, you might think twice about eating them ever again. And let me tell you, I was even shocked. I know a lot of people used to be Girl Scouts, and I think if they knew what they know now about the nutritional value, they would have boycotted selling them until the ingredients changed. We all know cookies are cookies, and they are a treat, 
that isn't meant to be healthy, but the cookies that I like to eat or other people like to eat, the basic ingredients are flour, sugar, butter, coconut oil, baking soda, eggs, just the simple things. If you've been to any grocery store lately, you'll see that there are tons of options that are just that. So why is it that Girl Scouts get little girls to hawk these cookies year after year that are filled with artificial and questionable ingredients? Just take a look at the ingredients. They speak for themselves. Sugar made from GMO and sugar beets. The sugar in, Now, I live next to a sugar beet factory in Torrington, Wyoming. I have smelled some horrible things from burning burn pits and fecal matter to bodies to a particular gaseous expansion that excavated from my orifice after eating some horrible burritos in line at Disneyland. And trust me, that is like the Big Bang. It is still lingering in Tokyo Disneyland. But nothing has smelled quite odoriferous and noxious as the sugar beet factory in Torrington, Wyoming. It was hell. One road into Torrington, and always you would have to pass the sugar beet factory, and everyone would try to hold their best breath for the three minutes it took to escape the smell. And trust me, you could close your vents. It didn't matter. It was coming in. But the Girl Scout cookies don't all come from sugar cane, but instead from genetically modified sugar beets. Mm, doesn't that sound delicious? This type of sugar can contain glyphosate residues from Roundup weed killer that is prevalently used on them. Prevalently used on them. Glyphosate was deemed a probable carcinogen by the World Health Organization. And if you know what a carcinogen is, it basically means it causes cancer. When you go into Starbucks, that's why they have that little sign that says some of the contents inside this location have been known to cause cancer. Little they tell you it's the fucking coffee because they burn it. It's also linked to kidney disease, birth defects, and autism. If you think a little bit about herbicide residue in your cookie, it isn't something to worry about. Consider this. Soon after Monsanto got approval to market GMO sugar beets for public consumption, they requested that the EPA increase the limit of allowable glyphosate residues in sugar beet roots from 0.2 ppm to 10 ppm. That's a 5,000% increase. So that little moderation that you think isn't a big deal is. Given the prevalence of Roundup ready crops in America, just how much of this stuff are we really eating? Not to mention glyphosate pollution of our water, soil, and air it's affecting us all. High fructose corn syrup, the worst. There are two versions of Girl Scout cookies made by two different bakers. Although the ingredients are nearly identical, one version of the Thin Mint cookie and some other cookie varieties is sweetened with high fructose corn syrup. This sweetener can be contaminated with toxic mercury and has been shown to contribute to type 2 diabetes, especially in children. Partially hydrogenated oils. The Girl Scouts use a sneaky FDA loophole to claim all of their cookies contain zero grams of trans fat per serving. While some of them, including Thin Mints made by Little Brownie Bakers, actually contain partially hydrogenated oil with artificial trans fat. They get away with this because the FDA allows any product is labeled zero grams of trans fat to contain up to 0.5 grams of trans fat per serving, which is only 4 Thin mints. Yet the Institute of Medicine says that no amount of trans fat is safe to eat because trans fat is linked to thousands of cases of heart disease. Please note, the FDA is requiring all food manufacturers to remove trans fats by 2018, but food companies can still petition the FDA for a special permit to continue using it. 
And who the fuck only eats four cookies out of those boxes? I have never seen a human being open up Scout little Girl Scout cookies and only eat four. They say Lay's potato chips and Pringles are tough. Bullshit. That is a box per sitting, if I've ever seen one. How about enriched white flour? This type of flour has been stripped of natural nutrients, so it has no redeeming qualities and is essentially dead food. So they enrich it with synthetic vitamins, niacin, reduced iron, thiamine, mononitrates, riboflavin, folic acid. They are not naturally derived. These fake nutrients are engineered in a lab from such things as coal tar, ammonia, formaldehyde, GMO bacteria, and petroleum. Just what a doctor ordered. How about artificial flavors? The type of flavors used by the Girl Scouts is a top secret man-made concoction of chemicals. Not only do you not know what chemicals you are really eating when you eat artificial flavors, but they are linked to allergic reactions. How about class four caramel coloring? There are four different types of caramel color used by the food industry. And class four caramel color is added to some Girl Girl Scout cookies like Thin Mints. Class four caramel color is made from ammonia and contains byproduct for MEI, a known cancer risk. And if Thin Mints are not your favorite Girl Scout cookie, Samoas are even worse. And if you like the the Tagalongs, is that what it's called? I don't know. Here's the deal with those. Do we really need to buy these cookies to support the Girl Scouts? Tagalongs. Hey, Olivia! It's not Tagalongs. I'm not sure. Hey, Liv! Hey, come here real quick. We're recording this show. Come here, both of you. This is Hayden. Say hi. You're in the, you see yourself? You're, you're blocked. You got to oh. scoot down. Ethan, get in here. Okay. This is Ethan. This is Hayden. Say hi, guys. Hi. Uh, Ethan, you're short enough. Come over here. Oh, other side, knucklehead. Come over here. All right. There's Samoas. There's Thin Mints. What are the things that are like called Tagalongs? Uh, T-A-G-A. L-O-N-G-S. Girl Scout cookies. Anybody know? Okay, get out of here. You're useless. <laughs> Goodbye. Forget it. I'm calling mom. Yes, it's Ethan's birthday tomorrow, everybody. Say happy birthday to Ethan. Let's call Olivia. She'll know. Close the door. Hello. Hey, there's there's some things. Uh, there's Samoas, macaroons, uh, Thin Mints, and then is it Tagalongs, Girl Scout cookies? Yeah, it's ta- Tagalongs. Tagalongs. Yes. Okay, thanks. It was on the show, and I'm trying to figure it out. Love you. Bye. Tagalongs. Here's the deal with those. Do we really need to buy these cookies to support the Girl Scouts? When the Girl Scouts come knocking, consider a donation or volunteering for the Girl Scouts instead. But... Is that the real thing to do? And should you? We'll talk about that in a second. Of buying these cookies or giving a donation are either the best. Please also consider maybe signing a petition. Because we have discovered that these cookies are not good for you. But also when you find out where the money's going, I think you will be surprised. Remember, 15 million of these things are sitting on the docks, unsold because of COVID. According to the Girl Scouts website, about 40% of these profits go towards programming. 25 go to production of cookies, 10% go towards rewards for selling, 15 go to the properties, and 10% go to the troop. Less than half of the cookies' profits go directly back to the troops. That sold them. 
and the rest is received by the national program. However, all those categories seem very vague and nondescript. Where's the money really going? About 65% of girls actually sell the cookies. The other 35% do not participate, but still receive the benefits of the fundraiser. Due to most of the profit being put back into the national program, all the girls get some reward, even if they do not spend countless hours selling cookies. Although the Girl Scouts website states that none of the cookies' profits provide salaries for the National Girl Scout program employees, the CEO somehow makes a large salary. The New York Post reported that the CEO, Anna Marie Chavez, earned about $400,000 in 2010. It is easy to infer that a portion of the profit from cookie sales is going towards the CEO's salary and not towards the troops. As you can see, Girl Scout cookie sales are a scam. The troop receives a small portion of the revenue, the moms are the ones selling the cookies, and the girls are used for unpaid child labor. You can slice and dice it any way you want, but that's the truth. You can now decide for yourself whether these cookies are really worth it or not. And this brings you to the dilemma. If you don't have little girls peddling your cookies, you can't sell your cookies. And if you can't sell your cookies, the $700 million projected, because the Girl Scouts don't disclose how much they make, but that is a rough estimate of how much they make, is a lucrative industry. It's right up there with marijuana in the United States. $700 million short of a billion dollars worth of sales. That is incredible. Maybe someone should look into it. But more and more parents are, and they're frustrated. But if the Boy Scouts open up their ranks and take little girls into the Boy Scouts, because let's face it, a lot of male figures who were Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts will encourage their daughters to do so, it takes away revenue from the Girl Scouts. That is why this multi-million dollar lawsuit is going after the once former Boy Scouts. Let's thank my kids for coming in. The little idiots didn't know the answer, and I didn't know it either, so I guess I'm an idiot too. Love my kids. They're awesome. A picture is worth a thousand ruples. The controversial photo I'm about to show you right here shows Ronald Reagan in Moscow in 1988 on May 31st. During the Moscow summit, Reagan and Gorbachev walked in Red Square in Russia. In this photo taken by Pete Souza, President Reagan greets a young boy. It's a nice photo, although it was likely that this meeting with the boy was staged. At some point, it was suggested that the man on the left, with the camera around his neck, all the way over behind the boy, is actually Vladimir Putin disguised as a member of a tourist party. And I don't know exactly when these claims surfaced, but the story went viral in 2009, and it keeps coming back every now and again. Chief official White House photographer Pete Souza has claimed, it has been pointed out to me and verified, that was Putin. When the photographer himself says so, it must be true, right? Well, not necessarily. Many people don't believe the mystery man is Vladimir Putin, and here are a few examples why. The Telegraph pointed out that, at the time, Putin was serving as a mid-ranking KGB officer in Dresden, East Germany, and that the mystery man seems too thin and has thicker hair than Putin ever did. The Guardian in 2009, Putin's press spokesman commented, it's not him. Well, what would they say anyway? Reading the pictures in 2014 also raises the question of age. Putin would have been 36 at that time. So I decided to take it upon myself, predicated upon my dizzying intellect and observation skills, to see if I could figure this out. So let's go back to basics. It seems that the controversy began some 20 years after the photo was taken. Perhaps there was no discussion about this Putin in disguise photo before 2009. Apparently, Souza's verified Putin claim was also made in 2009, 
And I'm sure Souza honestly believes the man is Vladimir Putin. However, Souza has not revealed his source, and nobody has asked him to. Who told him the man is Putin and when? Based on what? Clearly, we cannot treat, treat Souza's claim as proof. It is basically hearsay unless proven otherwise. I have another photo taken from a different angle. But more importantly, I have a video that I'm going to show you real quick. So let's do that. If you take a look coming up here, you'll see Vladimir Putin in the supposed Vladimir Putin in the top left. You get a really good look at his mannerisms and face. And the first thing that I notice, and I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but if you look at his height right here, they are both standing up fairly straight. Putin is actually head down just a little bit looking down at the boy. He doesn't make a lot of eye contact with Reagan. In fact, he seems stupefied with just about everybody. He's in fairly good shape, fairly muscular. He dresses like a nerd, but everyone did back then in the 80s. He's not watching really anything. If you watch the Secret Service behind them, you will see all eyes peeled. If he is trained KGB or Politburo, he would have a presence about him, and his head being down would never take place. Ever. That's going to give him another inch of being shorter than Gorbachev. Gorbachev is 5'9". This man is closer to six foot, maybe 5'10", 5'11". That difference is obvious in this picture, considering that Gorbachev is closer to the cameraman just by a smidge. But here's the thing. Vladimir Putin is 5'7", and that's stretching it because he's like 5'7", like some hockey players are 6'6". Let's watch the rest. Watch his head. He's looking at Gorbachev. He's not even looking at Reagan. And look at the Secret Service. You can tell who's who. Secretary of State's back there. Man, I love Ronald Reagan. Some of the other photos that we have here, if you want to take a look, is here is Putin with his baby girl. And this is in 1988. See, his hair is a lot thinner. It's not as thick. It's a little more stringy. And you can see that he has put on some weight in the middle. Here's another one. This is him sitting at a table. This is the mid-1980s. And this is a photo of his wife, 1989. You can see the beer belly. You can see the receding hairline. The hair is nothing like the other man. And honestly, he is very, very short. His wife was sat at 5'5", which if he's 5'7", there's not a chance. I think, honestly, she's down on the lower step. There's no way that he is that tall. And lastly, here is a picture of him in 1989 as well. A little thicker in the middle and most assuredly balding. I don't see how the mystery man could be Vladimir Putin. He doesn't even look like him, really. He gained a lot of weight in Germany and the mystery man looks well-trained. The hair is different, as I said. The eyes and nose look different. The mystery man also seems to be taller than Putin by a great deal. Also, why bother sending a mid-ranking officer from Dresden to Moscow? It doesn't make much sense to me. Reagan was already surrounded by Russians and probably by some local KGB and Politburo. Agents, uh, Agent Putin would have been exposed to TV and all cameras, which is not good for an undercover KGB agent. Case closed? For me, yeah, it is but not probably for everyone else. There's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there. 
However, why are we talking about this? Because in the run-up to meeting with Russian leader Vladimir Putin this week in Vienna, U.S., President Joe Biden said he wants a stable and predictable relationship with Russia. Well, if you want a stable and predictable, that's a contradiction in terms. That's kind of like a hardworking liberal. Sorry. One might think that Putin, too, would have much to gain through greater amiability with Washington. Yet, there's zero chance it will happen. Putin needs confrontation with the West for domestic reasons, and he believes he can exploit America's necessary focus on China to drive up the price Biden must pay for decent relationships with Moscow. Even worse, it's a model that multiple American rivals may follow in dealing with a distracted superpower. The U.S. has... Excuse me. The U.S. has good reasons for wanting a decent relationship with Moscow. Russia is still the only country that can, through its strategic nuclear arsenal, pose an existential threat. Key U.S. allies in Europe, especially Germany, don't relish the idea of having an angry, aggressive Russia looming over the continent, especially without a standing army. The U.S. could also use Russian cooperation in scattered areas, such as easing the path to a small counterterrorism presence in Central Asia after the Pentagon's withdrawal from Afghanistan. Most fundamentally, the U.S. would prefer not to be in two dangerous great power confrontations at once. We learned that with, the world, with world War II, with Japan and Germany. Spread ourselves thin. Washington might like to turn down the temperature of the U.S.-Russian rivalry. Putin has other ideas. Yes, Moscow and Washington agreed to extend the new START arms control agreement earlier this year, helping avert the danger of unconstrained nuclear competition. And that might severely strain the Russian economy. Putin recently shrugged off Biden's having called him a killer. But the Kremlin hardly seems desperate for uh, detente. This spring, the Russian military conducted a major coercive buildup near Ukraine. No doubt to remind Biden that Moscow can lop off additional chunks of its neighbor at will. In late 2020, the U.S. learned that the hack of SolarWinds Corps, solidly linked to Russia, had compromised hundreds of government and private networks, including those of the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Energy. All of this is in addition to Russia's continuing interventions in U.S. politics, It's sowing of division within the North Atlantic Treaty Organizations, NATO, and the European Union, the EU. It's escalating campaign to wipe out politically and sometimes physically the domestic political opposition and the murder plots against Putin's enemies on foreign soil. By almost any metric, Russia is far weaker than the U.S. Most significantly, its resource-dependent economy has been punished by multiple rounds of Western sanctions. So why doesn't Putin want what seemingly ought to be in his interest? a less volatile relationship with America. One reason is domestic politics. Putin has few sources of legitimacy other than nationalism and xenophobia. The social contract he offered Russians prior to 2008, political docility in exchange for hydrocarbon-fueled prosperity, unraveled with the global financial crisis and the accompanying crash in oil prices and Donald Trump's pressure on the EU not to purchase the oil, but nobody will ever give Donald Trump credit for that. Since returning to the presidency in 2012, Putin has relied on foreign wars, demonstrations of Russian global power, and a climate of tension with foreign enemies, real or alleged, to rally support for his regime. Putin will always put domestic stability ahead of international stability, and he pursues the former by undermining the latter. There's also a deliberate global strategy at work. 
Putin knows that Russia risks being relegated to the second tier of world politics by an all-consuming duel between the U.S. and China. Yet that duel creates opportunity for Moscow. As the U.S. trains its focus on China, it will have more need for decent relations with Russia by demonstrating that Russia can put at risk the things Washington values, the security of Eastern Europe, the integrity of U.S. digital networks, and even the stability of American democracy. Putin can increase the cost Biden or his successors must pay for an eventual period of calm. This is what global affairs analyst Michael Kaufman calls Putin's rating strategy, his bid to make Moscow enough of a persistent threat to U.S. interests that Washington ultimately feels compelled to bless Russia's sphere of influence in the former Soviet Union, thus legitimizing its influence in the Middle East and make other concessions to reach accommodation. When Washington signals that it needs predictability in the relationship, it tempts Putin to show how easily he can deny that predictability until it meets Moscow's terms. And this is the weakness of Don, uh, excuse me, Joe Biden's foreign policy. The fact that he wouldn't stand next to him shows a lot. Putin is absolutely a showman. And Joe Biden is six foot and dwarfs and towers over Putin. Putin never would let that happen. And instead of Biden having the backbone and the stamina and actually demanding it to happen like Donald Trump did, because Donald Trump's bigger than Joe Biden, the weakness is emulating through the White House. Today, the unsettled state of politics in America and Europe, along with the violent chaos in large swaths of the Middle East and Africa, give Putin plenty of chances to execute his approach. So no matter what happens in Vienna, don't expect a lasting respite from the tensions between Russia and the West. And this is what Russia wants. They are the sleeping bear. I have talked about it many times. They're one of the only countries that want global dominance, dominance left. Iran is another. China doesn't want global dominance. They, want, they don't want social and governmental rule. They want economic rule. Russia most assuredly wants to rule the world. And they believe that their policies are suited to do just that. No matter if they have to use it by taking hackett, hatchet, axe, and saw to the table. Government-run health care. Why is the government so fucking bad at health care? They've been at it for 75 years and still can't get it right. It's expensive. It's mired in bureaucracy and it's fraught with waste. Obamacare was supposed to fix all this, remember, but instead, like every other government health care program before it, it just made things worse. Why? Because the government is a third-party payer. You don't understand what that means? Let me explain. Suppose you're going to buy something for yourself. You have two priorities, price and quality. Most of us can agree that's what we look for. We want the highest quality for the lowest possible price. Say you're buying a television. You have many options, the size of the screen, the quality of the image, the price. Only you know which one best suits your needs and your budget. And a lot of companies are competing for your business. You do your research, you make your choice. This is called a first-party purchase. The person paying is the person using. Now, let's suppose that either the price or quality is not controlled by you. In this case, you are buying something for someone else. You care about the price because you are paying for it, but you are a little more flexible on the quality. A good example would be a wedding gift, say, a coffee maker. You might think, by the time it breaks, they'll forget who gave it to them anyway. The cheaper one will be fine. All of us have bought things for others we never would have bought for ourselves. We care about the price because we're paying for it, but not so much about the quality because we're not going to use it. My cousin Joe 
and Aunt Holly. <laughs> that sounds bad. My cousin did not marry their aunt. Cousin Holly, cousin Joe are married, and they are the aunt to my lovely kids you saw earlier. They are wine snobs, and they will tell you this. They had a, they had a wine cellar is beautiful, and they love their wine. And they know everything there is to know about it. I could give a shit and care less. But I heard they like wine. So I went across the street and I went to a Walgreens and I found the most expensive bottle of wine, which was called Barefoot, I believe is what it was. It was a Zinfandel or a Chardonnay and it was like 16 bucks. And I'm like, that's good enough. $16 bottle of wine is fantastic. Little did I know that they are used to drinking $150, $300, $700 bottles of wine. We gave that to them for a present because we didn't know them. We received the exact same bottle back during next Christmas. It was almost like a, you don't know us at all. We hope you like it. So that was it. I never talked to Joe about it. It was either you guys like this type of stuff because he gave it to us and we dumped it down the sink, but I believe it was the exact same bottle. So it was more of like a, hey man, fuck you, do your research. Very similar situation that we buy things for people we wouldn't necessarily buy for ourselves. But suppose that we're going to use something, but we're not going to pay for it. Then we're concerned about the quality because we're consuming it, but the cost is not as important because we're not paying for it. Any father who ever got roped into paying for an open bar at a wedding understands this program. Nobody ever orders the cheap stuff when it's free. These are called second-party purchases. The person paying is not the person using. And now for the coup de grace, when it is not your money paying for something and you don't use it, then you're not concerned about either the price or the quality. Suppose the boss gives you $150 to buy a door prize for the office party. And in a store window, you see a six-foot-tall stuffed frog marked $149. You think, oh, that's perfect. Let's buy it. The raffle winner is awarded the six-foot frog. Everyone laughs at the gag. Now, this is called a third-party purchase, a purchase that is made with money that is not yours. Therefore, you don't care about the cost. To buy something you're not going to consume, therefore, you don't care about the quality. Here's the point. By definition, all government purchases are third-party purchases. The government spends other people's money on things it won't consume. It doesn't care about the price or the quality. Thus, there will always be waste in government spending. That is why, to paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, government should do only those things that a man can't do better for himself. If 300 million Americans were, to, were free to buy health insurance for themselves, just as they buy their own life and home and car insurance, then that little gecko on television would offer us health insurance with a little more coverage for a little less cost. And he wouldn't be the only one. Insurance companies and hospitals would be working night and day to get our business. Quality would go up and prices would go down. It's already happened with laser eye surgery. It used to cost $2,200 per eye. Now it can cost as low as $500 per eye. That's the way free enterprise competition works every time. Get a boob job. That used to be out of my uh, realm of possibility. In another couple of years, hey, Liv, we might be able to get that done. But when the government gets involved, costs go up, waste and fraud go up. Essential medical services are denied or unavailable. These are the hallmarks of government bureaucracies around the globe. The sooner we make health insurance a first-party purchase again, the sooner Americans will get the health care they want and most desperately need. The government does not do a great job, and people will go ahead and say the military. Look at what they do in the military. It's socialism. Are you fucking kidding me? Have you been in the military? You have to literally sign your life away. I will not sue. I will have no legal recourse. The government is not responsible unless A, B, C, D, E, F, G is filled. 
You get $100 for hazard pay, dive pay, jump pay, combat pay. You get paid an infinitesimal amount. You have the ability to live off base or on base. Yes, you get your clothing provided for you. It's a military fucking uniform. Everyone thinks it's Shangri-La. It's not. And most people who stay in will tell you, I didn't stay in for any other reason than to get my retirement. Because the people who are at the 10-year mark basically say, I give up. I'm a broken horse. I've been ridden hard and put away wet. What's another 10 years to get my retirement? And then I can do anything fucking else other than this. Government-run anything is never better than the private sector. But here's the thing. If you take a look at NASA and SpaceX, there's one who's government-run and one who's privately run. And both have their ups and downs. Both have their flaws, benefit, and their cost versus benefit analysis. But competition breeds advancement. It breeds innovation. It lowers the cost. If Sony was the only TV producer, they could charge whatever they want. Take a look at BMW in Europe. Take a look at Mercedes-Benz in Germany. Take a look in Russia where they only sell Mercedes-Benz still to this day. It creates conglomerates. It creates corporations that have monopolies. It creates the Comcasts of the world, the Disneys, the Googles, the Facebooks. Competition is an amazing thing. And every time you see a Circuit City go out of business or Coca-Cola loses share or Microsoft drops shares or the Zoom does not actually survive against the iPod, you create a cost versus benefit analysis that is on the wane. Prices will go up, but not necessarily the value. This is what a free market society creates. This is what a free market capitalist country creates. This is what a free economy creates. And if it works in one, it most assuredly works in the other. Healthcare is not a government job. I don't want it. I don't need it. And I certainly can't afford it because it will be the most expensive. And it will certainly not have any benefit for what I can find for myself. Folks, that's it for my show tonight. Thanks for sticking around. I appreciate having you. If you enjoyed 169, Come on by for 170. If you didn't, tough shit. Don't know what else to say to you. Maybe it's just not for you. But what you could do for me is possibly stop by, like, follow, share, and subscribe. That would mean a great deal unless you didn't like it. Or maybe come by tomorrow. It might be different. I might have a topic that you do enjoy. Thanks for humoring me. Thanks for having a good time. But also, most importantly, thanks for caring about veterans. 1-800-273-8255-PRESS-1, Veteran Crisis Hotline. Veterans are going through a world of shit. From TBI to PTS, stress, anxiety, depression, it is too much for veterans to handle. They need your help. They need to talk. And 22 veterans a day commit suicide. It is way too many. We are losing a generation of veterans to these causes. They need you. They need you now. The best way to do that is to have a conversation. If you are not comfortable having that, call me. I will help you. I will make it with you. Veterans, talk to veterans. But if that doesn't work, you can go to my website at www.unfriendly.com. Click on the VCL link. You'll be connected to a Skype operator free of charge. VCL operator will answer, and even if you are a civilian, they will get you the help that you need. VCL is amazing, and they are here for you. Make that call today. Folks, thank you so much for stopping by. I will see you tomorrow for 170. Amazing that we're that high. Remember, like, follow, share, and subscribe. It's important. It helps. It keeps the lights on, and I will see you tomorrow. Remember, we can agree. We can disagree. You can love me. You can hate me. Just don't unfriend me. Have a good night.